Howdy. Howdy. All right. I, I didn't do that the last time. I heard that as the official welcome. Some people say praise be to God. We say howdy. howdy. That's nice. I like that. So um, this summer marked 35 years of working with students. I know. I don't look that old. I actually do. I feel that old. 35 years. And in that 35 years, a lot of things have changed. So again, where's my children from the 80s? Where are you? Let me tell you what happened when we went to summer camp, okay? So on the last night of camp, the cry time, right? Our mountaintop experience, our youth ministers would light fires. Now, I grew up in Dallas. Y'all are down here in Bryan. It's 100 bazillion degrees, but you had to have fire to end camp, right? And you held hands around the campfire. Now, here's what you don't know. Like, you're wearing shorts today. I see two young men wearing shorts. So displeasing to the Lord. Because you remember, <laughs> I, I wish I was making this up, right? So we did not wear shorts at camp. You could wear them everywhere else. And if you played basketball, basketball shorts were like way up here. So somehow at camp, you did not wear shorts. Because if you saw a girl's ankle, you would lust and go to hell. So I mean, we had always wore pants. And we're around this campfire, and every good youth minister would sing this song. It only takes a, thank you, this is a God's church right here. So, and the last part is, I'll shout it from the mountaintops. See, oh, you say howdy, okay. Um, we would do that because we didn't really talk out loud in church. I think I saw some hand raisers here this morning as well, but um, we we would yell praise God, and we'd look around, and the sky had not fallen in on us, and the fire had not flamed and consumed us as unapproachable worship. So our youth minister would say, do you really want your friends to know Jesus? And we're like, yes, and by this time we're crying. So we sang it again. I'll shout it from the mountaintops. Do you really want your friends to know Jesus? And he'd say it like that, Jesus. I'll shout it from the mountaintops. He had to wait for the echo. I want my world to know. And it's so fun. Now we go from there to a dorm devotional, cabin devotional. We didn't have air conditioning because people didn't love kids. So we're in these hot areas. And our counselor would pull out a ball of yarn. How many of y'all remember the ball of yarn? The ball of yarn was classic youth ministry. I would take a ball of yarn, I would throw it to Jeremy, Jeremy catch it for me, and then I knew Jeremy for like three days, but I would hold on to the yarn and say, Jeremy, I've known you for three days, but you're my very best friend and I love you so much. We were 17-year-old young men crying like babies. It was awesome. And so he would hold on to it and throw it back there to Brian. Brian, catch it. Brian, catch it. And Jeremy would say, I know, I don't even know who you are, but we're Aggies, and I think I love you right now, and I'm just like, oh. <laughs> Brian would finally throw it back to me. We'd all be crying, and then our youth minister would say, Jeremy, let go of your part of the string. He let go, and this web made out of yarn would just drip down a little bit, dip down a little bit, and our youth minister would say, we need everyone here. I was probably 10 years old the first time I did that. And it's still planted right here. I remember the faces around the circle. I remember how hot the fire was. We still complained about 501 button fly jeans. Why can't we wear our jams? 
I'm just going to do church for myself for the first three minutes. So all you 80s people, just fighting you out in the crowd. How much has changed over the last three decades? I'm going to do something weird today. Do you know I was asked three times by the church leadership, do you have any slides for this morning? Do you have slides? Where's your slides? You're, you're wanting slides. You have no slides. I'm actually just going to preach from the Bible. You know, it's weird. I have no slides. Dean's like, do you, do you want slides? No, this is a no-slide sermon. Are you sure you don't want slides? I don't know how many times. They made this one. I didn't ask them to. They have to have a slide. Isn't that amazing? Back in the day, we go to youth rallies. Y'all, even, y'all are sitting correctly. That's what we would do. You didn't raise your hand. You listened. We were going to tell you what to believe because it's the right way. And if you die tonight, would you go to heaven or hell? I love the altar call. We probably should bring it back. But we sing just as I am or I surrender all a bazillion times until everyone who even had the potential for getting baptized, you will find a way. So I had this lady in sixth grade, my first mountaintop experience, Camp Cisco, no shorts, hot scorpions, and uh, she approached me because I didn't become a Christian until I was in high school, which for Church of Christ kid, fifth grade is the age of accountability. <clears throat> they thought something was wrong with my mom and dad. It's like, David. So sixth grade, this lady comes up and goes, Dave, why haven't you been baptized? I'm at camp. And I panicked. I lied. I said, I'm going to do it this Sunday night. And I just ran away. And instead of going to church, I watched Mutual of Omaha and Disney. So, I mean, I just kind of, I, I, I didn't make it to church. But every youth rally after that, and usually when my buddy Jeff Walling is speaking, because Jeff, I love to make fun of him, and I hope he gets this, because he can read the phone book, and it'll make you feel like you need to respond. He has that voice, right? And if Jeff was preaching, I would sit right in the middle, and this lady would turn around, and I'd do this. She'd, she'd go. She did that for the next three years. I avoided eye contact all the time during doing this. Because that's the way we did things. And it's right here, and we laugh about it, and there's a goodness about it, and it grounds you. Today, we have PowerPoints. Today, there are more books about how to do youth ministry than we've ever had. We have videos. We have professors. We have research. We have some of the greatest camps with smoke machines and stuff, just whatever stuff. I built a tree two years ago that could swing people. And we made it a point. I've been to Houston where this guy created on stage an entire playground with a rocket ship slide. It was awesome. And still, 50% of our young people will walk away from the Lord when they go to college. That's across denominational lines. Best research I can give you. And it's not that they walk to another faith tribe. They take what we have pitched them, and they said, no, thank you, and they walk away. That's why I do what I do. There has to be something, and we cannot outsource. So if a kid doesn't hit a baseball, we're like, yep, go get him a batting coach. Kid's horrible at math. Go get him a tutor. You cannot do that with spiritual development. We can't outsource it. It's our responsibility. 
So Deuteronomy 6, a brother of mine, where are you? We were talking, we researched it, and it would be awesome to talk about all the different elements. But when you look at the message, and Eugene Peterson, yeah, it's his kind of take on it, but he covers it really well. And I want you to listen to something that was so significant. Jesus would take it as the bedrock of the greatest commandment, grab Leviticus 19 and say, now that you do this, go and serve others. But the weird part is we live in a culture where we start with service and then hope it leads us to God. But look at Deuteronomy 6. From the message, here's what Eugene Peterson says. Attention, Israel. God, our God, God the one and only, love God your God with your whole heart. Love him with all that's in you. Love him with all you've got. Write these commandments that I've given you today in your hearts. Get them inside of you. And then get them inside of your children. I spent three months on this verse just looking at it. And how it impacts student ministry back in 2007. And here's what we need to know that kind of first thing that blew my mind. Nowhere in here is mom and dad mentioned. We live in a culture like, that's right, nuclear family, mom and dad, it's your job. There is no Mom and dad mentioned in Deuteronomy 6. They are included. But this is a message to everyone who knows and is looking at a child today. It is our responsibility. It is our responsibility. Let me say it one more time. It's our responsibility to be sure that the way that we live our lives serves as an unflinching example, something that is pitched, that is at least willing to be entertained to be thought. Do you see what I'm saying? So he goes on, he goes, write everything on your doorposts as they get up, as they go along. And some of the Israelites took it very seriously. In archaeology, they have scriptures all over the place. The Pharisees wore it as phylacteries on their heads. And they missed the point, sometimes the way we do. You're like, hey, I got it. I went to Hobby Lobby. I got all the scripture posters they have. I had an entire wall of Jesus is Lord in the bathroom. Here it is. They meditate on it all day and night. No, 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 no. That's great. But reductionistic, here's what they're saying in Deuteronomy 6. As adults, parents and surrounding adults, we are to set such an unflinching example so that all that we do for those who follow behind us have no doubt of our devotion and dedication to the Lord, period. That's it. So if I were to teach this lesson, then I go out and, in the, and we're about to do our little parenting section, and I'm like, I don't like this sandwich. This sandwich is awful. I'm a speaker. Give me good food. You'd be going, who is this clown? If I go get gas, and I'm about to leave town, and you, hey, how are you doing? Leave me alone. I'm off the clock. Or I'm yelling at an attendant. Guess who's watching that? Entire community, because my job is to impress upon the next generation their God, and it's your job as well. You're like, I don't even like kids. So I'm sitting in my place. My kids are gone. I don't like them. They have blue hair. So do you. Get over it. Because <laughs> they're watching, right? So who's your five, and are you part of a five? Our job is a very important job and a very serious game of pitching and catching. I'm a good teacher. 
I, I can entertain students. I can take weird activities and introduce Jesus, but I am not good enough to outteach what happens in your home and what happens in the surrounding adult community. I'm not that good. So, where's my friend? Come on up. You don't even know you're doing this. Stand right there. It's going to get awful for a moment. Okay, so all I want you to do is catch this ball. Have you ever caught a ball? Okay, go ahead. What? Can you believe that? I mean, I don't have all the time in the world. Did you break something? Here you go, Josiah. Do you play baseball? Really? What's that against the wall over there? That's weird. Okay, so... Amazing. But I thought you said you could catch a ball. You what? What? I, I did. Said I wasn't paying attention. Okay, you ready? No. Um, oh. All right, I got a gift for you. Uh, dude, it's not my fault. Catch the ball. By the way, where's my coaches in the room? You know what every coach knows? You never say catch the ball, do you? They know they didn't catch it. You say things like, look it in. Bring the ball in. You actually coach them. Let's see what happens. I've given you something in your hand. It is the great sticky toy that costs $1.50. This is how I'm going to end my sermon. If you don't want to catch it, it's your fault. But look at that. Look at this. Are you ready? That's good. All right. That's what doing. Nice. That's good. I, I knew it was going to happen. It's good. Are you ready? Are you ready? Question. Question. Hold on. This is good. You're totally landing the plane before I could even take it off. Why would you try to catch it with your hand when you have something in your hand? Okay. Whose responsibility is it to catch? I don't have all the time in the world. There's kids and nursery care. Okay, here we go. Are you ready? Use your tools. <laughs> See, now they're, oh. Now they're actually doing, so whoa. Oh, my word. That is so good. Can I just get started here? Oh, that's good. That's going to backfire eventually. There we go. Give him a hand. Here we go. Don't play with this during church, or we'll stop and it'll be embarrassing. Okay. There we go. Thank you. All right. Wow. That's, he already concluded my lesson. Here's the deal. We have things that we can do in a kid's life to make what we throw, even though it's so erratic. And all of you in here, guess what? Especially college students. We're trying. We're a broken, beautiful mess. But we're trying to throw our faith right down the middle so you can understand what the main thing is, right? But we can really mess it up. Any baseball players? I understand you people because you kind of throw your wrist like this and that ball can do what? You know, all over the place. I hate it. Okay, where's my girl softball players? This stuff, I don't even understand. The wickedness of that ball. But let's just throw it down the middle. But where's things we could do that makes it easier for them to catch it. So instead of looking at the negative side of what's wrong with all these people, what's wrong with our world, we went and talked to the students 
who actually remained faithful, who were in the 50% of those who said, I want to catch what you're throwing at us. And we ask them, what's the deal? So it doesn't guarantee, as you see, but yet it gives us a better opportunity. So here's some sticky things that we all can do with our kids. You're going to be underwhelmed at some of these. I'm going to share three. You're like, why did Dean leave us with this guy this morning? First thing, you got to write it down or you can speak into your phone or just hold your phone up. Number one sticky factor. The kids who were part of the 50% who made it is this. Relationships with parents, surrounding adults, and people of the church. That's amazing. Like, you came all the way for this? Relationships. Smith and Denton started research, uh, these researchers in North Carolina. Now they're at Notre Dame. If you don't want to sleep, they got a three-volume like volume of religious life of young people. It's from a secular viewpoint, but it's a longitudinal study. And here's what they said. The number one influencer of a kid's spiritual development is mom and dad. Statistically within five points, surrounding adults, a distant third are people like me that work with young people. Away distant, our friends, culture. What do we spend all of our time on? Oh my word, they're friends. They're so weird. Y'all look pretty normal to me, except the guy with the Hawaiian shirt. I mean, I mean, it looks all good. Kids are kids. They've never been adults before. We have. And we've become those adults. I'm so terrified of everything around me. The wind's blowing. Must be a tornado. The number one influencer is still mom and dad surrounding adults, people who work with them, and then down here it's culture and everything that has to do with their friends. Why do you think they're here? Why? Because of relationships. Am I speaking truth, amen? So, I want you to think about every lesson you've ever heard from this stage or you know, the Aggies for Christ or on a, a mission trip or on a youth group trip. Think of every lesson. Can you remember the lesson? Think of a number. Now, I want you to think of the adults that have influenced your spiritual life. Did you see the faces? How many of y'all saw faces? How many of y'all saw faces? You're like, you're, is, am I delusional? No, I mean, it's, you see faces. There, you're probably in here because someone, it could be a friend that's part of that surrounding adult community. It could be your mom and dad. Somebody pitched something to you and you caught it. It is those relationships that matter. So let's just start there. That's the number one thing. The kids who made it could go into their churches and somebody knew their name. Somebody knew what they were doing. Not their accomplishments on a field. Not their accomplishments at work. Not their accomplishments in academics. They knew them. All the good, bad, and ugly. And they felt safe. And that's why most of us are here. So relationships. Second thing. The second thing that was sticky for those who made it is this. A healthy view of the gospel. I know what's preached from this stage. I've known your teachers. Has it really internalized, though? Is this what we've taught the next generation? Because at Fuller, when we were asking students, what is the gospel? Very few students across America back in 2007 and 8 actually would mention Jesus. They mentioned behaviors. They mentioned loving your neighbor. All of that is great, but it's still 
aside from the greatest commandment, right? So they would say things like this. They believed God will like them better if they can follow a list of do's and don'ts and keep their sin in check. That's not the gospel. One time, you'll love this college students, I would ask, I teach general Bible, and I just ask my students, write the definition of gospel. What is the gospel? And I had a student that grew up in a church just like this that said, well, it's like this. You do your best, and God takes care of the rest. Is that gospel? That's sin maintenance. Because your best is worth what? Nothing. Everybody say nothing. Nothing. Friends, if my understanding of the gospel and its validity to, validity to save me is based on my own goodness, ability to wear a seatbelt, vote conservative, watch my language, stay away from cats and dress appropriately for church, I'm in trouble. At some point, I'm going to get some amens over here. Students raised with a behavior-based gospel, in other words, God will love me more if I do better things, come in contact with, context with the ugliness of the world, and or experience personal moral failure. When this happens, a behavior-based gospel leaves a student feeling lost, hopeless, and alone to deal with their sin. Truth? Truth? Yeah. It can be rough. Every year, Dr. Hagee and I have students in our general Bible class, some of them raised in places like this, and they really don't think God loves them because of something that's happened in their life. Can we just, all the people who've been walking with Christ forever, can you be honest with some responses? Have you ever had something happen in your life where you have personally done something you wish you wouldn't have done, and you come to church and you feel less than? Raise your hand. Have you ever come to church and you, you want to feel good about the songs, but you're so hurt, so angry at whatever's going on, you're here and that's good, but you don't feel like singing? Raise your hand. How many of you ever showed up and everybody's having this like little moment, like little goosebumps everywhere and their mountaintop experiences and you just don't get it and you're like, I feel nothing. How many of you have ever been there? Do you see this? This is the gospel, that everything God says about us in Christ is true, even when I fail, even when I don't feel like it, and even when worship doesn't just kind of give me those goosebumps. Amen, church? Now, why am I so passionate about this? Not only it's in the research, but I am tired of doing funerals for people who are afraid to die. Not the action of dying. That's a pretty good fear sometimes. But actually, this question that I've been asked more often than not by older saints that ask me this question before they die. If I, D Dave, I look back on my life and I see all these things that I've done and I think I would do the same things again. And so they ask me this question, did I do enough good things to go to heaven? Never. So I had a guy ask me that one time, one of the most godly people I know, he had a story and he called me down from camp and he goes, Dave, I got to ask you this. Went through the same discussion. And I was in my 20s at the time. And I'm like, I did, uh. so I decided to answer him truthfully. I said, no. I wish you could saw his face. It was the worst pastoral moment for him ever. But then it changed and he died in peace because I said, that's the point. 
because you haven't. That's how good Jesus is. That's the gospel. So David, you saying that we should let our children not wear seatbelts, vote liberal, use bad language, own cats, and wear shorts to church. No, here's what I'm saying. John 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Not, if you keep my commandments, I'll think about loving you. These are the last first words of Jesus. And he answers his own question, which is funny, because when I was growing up, I had this idea, even though we didn't really say it, but we felt it, that I'm not good enough. And we'd sing, does he still feel that? The answer's no. And so here, here we have this, this weird thing going on where I got to feel bad, and we can't live into the grace of transformation. And so if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I think about all those I haven't kept. But he answers this question. On the night he's betrayed, just read the Bible. It says, here's my command. You love one another. Sounds like relationships to me. That this gospel, any behavior change in my life is because of what God has done, not because of my effort. That's Romans 7, right? My best efforts will always make me feel like garbage at the end of the day because I am not good enough to be on this scale, so God took the scale in Jesus, amen? Romans chapter five, love this verse. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. I love this. I don't know how many times we talk about suffering. If God loved us, if there is a God, why is there suffering in the world? A long eschatological discussion that'd be a lot of fun to have. We basically screwed it up. Everybody knows that, right? Romans 3.23, we've all sinned. But the story of suffering, here's the amazing thing, about God's grace, even in the midst of suffering, God will never waste our pain because of his grace. So, suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been earned by us. Nope. Who has been given. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. I love this. Maybe a good person. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still part of the Aggies for Christ, Christ died for us. While we were still regular church attenders, Christ died for us. Let me look at it in the original Greek. Um, While we were still... What does it say? Sinners. Christ died for us. That's huge. Before you could ever come to church, before you could ever say a prayer, before you could ever open up your Bible, before you could do anything, he goes on to say, while you were an enemy of God, Christ still died for us. God's plan is to bring us into relationship. He not only loves you, but he likes you. I don't even like you sometimes. You don't like me. Isn't that amazing? That's the kind of gospel that when you screw up, God says, come on, let's fix it. When you don't feel like it, it means nothing. Read a third of the Psalms. Half of those are very challenging, aren't they? 
Half those psalms, they don't feel anything but anger towards God. Do you realize that a third of the psalms? Am I right with that, Dr. Hagee? About a third. Isn't it great how grace interacts with our lives and then brings about change? That's a healthy gospel. Amen? So look at the person next to you and say the gospel's good. Go ahead. All right. So, the third thing I want to share about, and there's other stuff, but I want, I, want to, I want you to know this. If we have real relationships, if we're teaching a healthy gospel, the world is a tough place. The ocean is different from the 1980s. We're not hanging around campfires without our shorts on, right? And now we even know how to make fake fire. The world is different. So the kids who make it need to feel the express, the the permission to express and explore their doubt. All of you in here, how many of you ever had a doubt or a question about this Christian thing? Raise your hand. All of us. I'm not saying that you didn't have faith, but there's times like, what does the Bible say about this? What is a, and, and there's all kinds of questions. It could be creation, evolution. It could be women's role. It could be music. It could be baptism. It could be denominationalism. It could be other religions. All these things come out in the research. Today, one of the big ones is, how are we supposed to deal with all the same-sex stuff? If we don't talk about all of these issues among God's people, they will pick up their phone and say, hello, Siri. We have to have the courage. And as I said in class, and as my mother used to tell me, it's a great thing that if you don't have the answer, if you could just say, we could look at it together. Let's go look at the Bible and figure this thing out. That is more important than coming up with the same answer. Am I speaking truth? Just listen. Let's have the discussion. And when adults enter into discussion with young people and they feel the freedom to take their faith that they love because they trust us in relationship and we've taught them the gospel and then they're able to say, how am I supposed to live in this world today? And a group of old people come in and say, let's talk about this because we can work this out together. All of the skin of the validity of what we're pitching to the next generation catches hold. And it looks real. But when we dismiss questions and exploration of truth, because this is what we believe, they're going to walk out our doors. Because they're like, you won't have a discussion. Your faith isn't applicable. I don't understand. Here's what Proverbs says. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding. And if you look for it as for silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. The last thing I want to share, because i got a little bit more time, a sticky thing is real relationships. You notice we said, who's your five? And we've been talking in class, we'll talk about with parents, these young people college students, all of us need to have a list of individuals that are part of our five. What do I mean by that? Is there someone, your kids, your students, those you're in a relationship with, if they can't talk to you, there's someone else they could talk to? Because we've already had those. A lot of us are here because we had people other than our parents, other than our grandparents, people that spoke into our lives. They need to have those real relationships. And we need to have those real relationships. 
You know what the Christian F word is, don't you? Thought that would get your attention. Fine. How are you doing today? Fine. We know you're not fine. You're, you're dying. Something's wrong. Oh, I'm fine. Really? We saw you have a fight with your family in the car, and you come in here and you got coffee. You're like, I'm fine. No, you're not. Why is your wife crying? She has something in her eyeball. We have a tendency to say, oh, I'm blessed, or Texan, bless your heart. And we walk past people, and perhaps even we say howdy, when you see that look in somebody's eyes going, I need to go grab them and say, you're not well. Those real relationships were a huge authenticator and sticky part of kids who've made it. Because they saw the adults in their lives really getting involved. And in youth group, they really got involved. And in college, they really got involved. And somehow the relationships, and I'm going to embarrass them, we stopped for our time of prayer and you prayed for Jeremy. You know how important that is? And that you included me in that? Why did you do that? Huh? You haven't even met me. How do you love me? Wow. I believe that. I believe that. Jeremy, why were there tears in your eyes when we were crying? Wow. I got to walk around campus, and you know what? It wasn't necessarily everything about it. He was mentioning names of real relationships, of real people. Love the Groves family. This is, this is life together, right? Real relationships go through all kinds of ups and downs. And it supports us. So it doesn't matter what's happening out there. We're going to be fine. Right, church? We're going to be fine. That preaches. And that's what we need. So I want everybody to stand. Here's how we're going to end. No pressure. Nobody's going to ask to come down forward. We're all going to respond. There you go. The first thing I want to ask everyone in this auditorium is, how is your pitching? Moms and dads, youth group kids, college kids, adults, teachers, bus drivers, whatever you do, look behind you. How well is our pitching? Is the main thing the main thing? Because people are watching. I'm going to read a verse that's going to kind of give us a little bit of weight as we leave. Because it's important. It never made Vacation Bible School. We have no songs about this verse for obvious reasons. If anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. This is Jesus loves me, this I know. This is Love one another. Or put a millstone around your neck and jump in the sea. Doesn't even rhyme. This is how serious our Lord is about what we show the next generation. It is our job. It is our job. Real relationships. Relationships, mom and dad, trying to community, healthy gospel. Make a place to express and explore doubt. Then for the rest of us, and if you're listening online or maybe this is delayed, 
You may be sitting there going, yeah, that's right. This church is filled with a bunch of hypocrites. That's why I don't, guess what? That's called a humanity. We're a broken, beautiful mess. But I can testify that this church is really trying to take the main thing and throw it down the middle. You can find community here that's real, that'll help you, that you can express and explore doubt, and they will share the gospel with you. There's no perfect community. So how is your catching? You still have to give an account, even if you're trying to catch it one-handed, because you think you don't need church. So I listen to church on my phone. You need this. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for us, the things done while in the body, whether good or bad, 2 Corinthians 5.10. It's a serious game of pitching, and we also have to catch. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the AM Church. Thank you for the relationships. Thank you for the gospel that's been preached. Thank you for the service that they do. Thank you for the freedom of expression and doubt exploration they provided. Thank you for the reality of relationship that is so deep. And Father, may people know for many generations names of those that may be anonymous to some, but they can list the five names of people who've kept them involved with this community. And the names they can go back to when times are hard and realize that person loved me. That person knows the gospel. That person lived the gospel. Would you let us all be those kind of pitchers to the next generation? And Father, for those in this audience, for our students who are living in a different ocean, in a different time, would they entertain? Would you give them the courage to catch what we're throwing and to join us in this journey? And all who agree say, amen.